Today's episode of the Back in Shape podcast, we're going to be discussing the contentious topic of whether or not you need imaging for your lower back pain, your lower back injury, or sciatica, and we'll bundle those all in together. It is a contentious point, and I want to start out by saying fundamentally back pain is a problem, or those sorts of back injuries are a problem. And if we take a real world example, if we have any problem in the real world, it is helpful to be able to see the problem. We can better address the problem, especially if we are a qualified individual seeing the problem, we can then interpret that to maybe the layperson so they can get information, usable real world information out of the understanding of that problem on an intimate level. If we take the example, for example, um, is it raining outside? I've got a journey I've got to make today, later today and I wanna know if it's raining outside. If I go outside, I can then see the situation, it's spitting, okay, great. I can incorporate that information, say, well, I've only gotta go down to the shops, so it's not a problem, I'll just run out and run back, I'll get a little bit wet, no problem. But if you see it's torrentially downpouring, you can then make a different decision and say, actually, I'll wait and I'll just go when it passes. So you're qualified to make that simple decision based on what's going on outside. But if you don't look outside and see the specific status quo, then you cannot fully understand how to make your decision, whether you go or whether you don't go. If we take another example of the plumbing, if we leave the plumber out at the front door and ask him to assess what's going on with the leaky toilet, you're going to really struggle to get a useful answer, as opposed to them coming in and seeing the toilet. You might not necessarily, I know certainly I won't, be able to communicate what exactly the problem is. You've got a rough idea of what the problem is. I've got some back pain. I've got a bit of a leak. But you cannot communicate the detail of where specifically, what part of the machinery is the leak coming from or the back coming from. So you don't fully understand the problem. So you don't communicate it as effectively to the individual that's trying to help you, the expert that's trying to help you, and therefore you get less desirable outcomes. So in those scenarios, seeing the problem makes a huge difference. And that is, 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 is an inescapable fact. And the common issue that we get as a result of that when it comes to back pain is this reluctance to do imaging. We get misdiagnosis. How many of you will have heard something along the lines of this sort of situation of, oh, well, you know, we don't need imaging right now. Don't worry, don't worry. We don't need imaging. It's just a muscle spasm in your lower back. Go and do these exercises. Go to the physio and the physio, okay, let's do these muscle exercises in the back. And it could be any other practitioner for that matter. It's not particularly picking out physios. And then all of a sudden, six months later, well, not all of a sudden, but a very slow many months later, you get an MRI and they go, oh, yeah, uh, so we said it was a disc, we said it was a muscle problem, but actually it's a disc bulge. The disc bulge has been there the whole time. But because you've been reluctant to utilize things, and we'll get onto that in the next point, you've given a misdiagnosis, or you fail, fail to understand the situation, and now the person's been doing a bunch of things that were not helpful, and given that time to ingrain those bad things that they've already been doing that aren't helpful, so the problem gets worse, and so they have to climb out of a deeper hole when they eventually do have a better understanding of what's going on. Now, I thought I'd then move on now to three of the reasons why that happens. And two of them are particularly relevant. The third may be a little bit less so. So first and foremost, and this is me being very cynical, especially here in the UK, it's cost. It costs money to send you for an MRI. And this might not necessarily be something that overtly is um, considered by the individual, the doctor, the physio, whoever it is that you're seeing, but the system itself prevents those people from necessarily referring for imaging um, as quickly as we might like. The example I just mentioned is testament to that. So there's this, this, this reluctance to send you for that additional information because it might cost privately, let's say 250, 300, 400, 700 pounds to get that MRI done. And then it's, it's putting you in the queue ahead of maybe someone else and you've got a back problem. So maybe that's not as important as some other condition that might need a bit more urgent referral. So there's all that sort of stuff going on in the background. And I don't believe necessarily, although for some that is true, it is a fault of the individual who is 
choosing to or not to do that, but it is a fault of the system itself. It's just not designed to help people in this way. There are, quote unquote, more severe issues that require resources for the NHS, and it does a great job over there. But when it comes to back pain, let's face it, it's not life-threatening, and so resources are not um, diverted into that channel. So you don't get a healthcare model for the back, you get a sick care model. When you're absolutely in dire straits, you will get something relatively quickly. But until you're at that point, and sometimes even at that point, you are put off, put off, put off, put off, put off. And that's just like anything in life. The longer you put off a problem, the worse it gets, the more ingrained things become, and the more difficult it is to turn things around. The second issue is really about this research or thing that's stopping people referring um, for x-rays or for imaging of, 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 that, of MRIs, etc is this research that came out a good number of years ago that's often touted. If we took a number or random sample of people off the street and we run them through an MRI, we'd see that X number of them would have uh, shoulder issues, maybe some supraspinatus tears. A number of them would have degenerate knees, meniscus issues, you know, uh, this, that, the other in the hips. They'd have disc bulges in the lower back. And therefore, you've probably been walking around pain-free like those people without it. So it's not an issue. And that is such a naive and, and silly point of view to hold because at that snap point in time, there are every single, almost every condition you could possibly have will have a point where it is not a problem conceptually that you can perceive. Name the condition. Some of them very, very serious. One of the reasons early intervention is perhaps important in many conditions, and you can use your own imagination to think which ones, that understanding a problem is a problem before it becomes a symptomatic problem is helpful. And to have that kind of research and use it as a tool to basically justify, quite frankly, your lack of experience in the ability to interpret imaging and use imaging uh, going forwards is just childish. And the simple example would be if we took 10 cars or a random sample of cars on the road, you've perhaps even been into uh, get your car out from the service and said, hey, your brakes were worn to an illegal level, so we've had to replace the brake pad. Oh, and that tire was bold, also illegal. Shouldn't have been driving around with that. We've had to replace that one as well. They were broken or damaged before you got to the car place, but you didn't have an accident. It wasn't a problem until it is, until you have to brake suddenly, until you have to lift something suddenly. You realize that that compromised structure, which, which could be used as a education tool, it could be used to say, hey, listen, John, your discs are being worn here at this particular level. No, it's not just age-related wear and tear. Got other videos on that. We won't even get into that here. But at L5S1, that disc is worn. Perhaps you can make some lifestyle modifications. We can work on some areas to improve our health. And if we use that right, sometimes people say that the imaging can create a degree of um, paranoia in the individual patient. And sometimes that can be the case if the person uh, relaying the information from the imaging is, is, is not very good at doing that for patients. But more often than not, when you do it properly, that is a motivational tool, it's an insight, it's an early warning, so that person can then set about making some really proactive, positive changes in their life to improve their overall health and well-being. Because let's face it, many of us watching this video, myself included, could be healthier. Some of us could be an awful lot healthier. And sometimes having that point where we say, do you know what? I know you think you've been getting away with not looking after your body for all these years, but you're not and things are building up and you need to make a change, can be the necessary catalyst to move someone again away from sick care to health care and being healthier and all the societal benefits that that um, results in. So let's move on to the next bit, talk about a little bit about imaging. Is it unnecessary? Because there are also issues with imaging to a certain degree for some patients. So first and foremost, if you can go and get imaging, 
and you're going to pay for it yourself, great. But and, and, that's, and that's helpful and that's a tool and I've already kind of discussed some of the ways in which that imaging can help you with your back pain or with any other condition for that matter. But it can help you understand the situation. But with the back, it's, it's a little bit more complex so it can be really particularly useful. Um, and if you're going to pay for that, awesome. But a lot of people, especially here in the UK, they firstly have the false expectations. They think that the MRI or the X-ray that they should be referred to is going to change everything, it's going to change the game dramatically. They're going to have to do a bunch of really specific things for that particular area. And that's just not the case. And that is not communicated to people effectively, that the result of the MRI isn't going to be as transformative as you really think. It's not going to change what you need to do, and we'll get onto more on this later. But secondarily, and that's partially because it's not actually used properly. So if you get, if you get your MRI, chances are if you're going and seeing the average person, osteopath, physio, chiro, GP, they're just going to read the report off. And that report is a very low resolution issue. It's a very low resolution image. When we're looking at you as a person with back pain, it's helpful to see, yes, the minutiae of detail, but we can't really change that too much. The body's going to heal that disc injury. The body's going to heal the damage that's in that area. And we aren't really going to do too much to actually speed that up, apart from maybe certain interventions which we could discuss at another time. Then we need to zoom out and look at the context of that spine. So that particular disc is bolt in the context of that spine. Well, that's the only one that's bolt and the spine is like this. And that can help us then take that information and put it into the muscular system. Well, we're not necessarily supporting the spine properly here and we're stood like this and our overall skeleton and the way in which we hold ourselves is like this and the muscle balance, etc. And then, which we can interpret from, from the surface to a degree, and then we take that person and we put them in their life and we can then connect all these things together to get a full understanding when in reality so many people just focus on that last part and maybe a little bit of, 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 the, of the second to last part and therefore they're missing a huge chunk of information that informs the process going forwards so it's simply not used and then and then the final point kind of ties into to two topics here is that so many times we see people, maybe they were in the clinic, or maybe they would they would call up the clinic, or maybe they would inquire us to the membership, and they say, oh yeah, yeah, I'm not ready to start yet. I've got an MRI in six weeks, and I'm gonna have a report six weeks after that, so I'm just gonna hold fire. I'm not gonna do anything. And they fail to realize by saying you're not doing anything because you don't wanna make it worse, you are making it worse because you are doing something. You are continuing to do what you've always done, which has got you to where you are right now, and you're failing to recognize the importance and the need for education around what you're doing and any good program is going to include um, a significant portion of education to help you understand how your body interacts on a daily basis with the rest of life but it's also going to include proper exercises and again we'll get onto this a little bit more later on but the worst case scenario for many people with back pain is oh what if I have to have surgery if you start now before you get the MRI doing the right sort of strengthening based exercises lifestyle modifications ways that are friendly for spine health Rather, any, aside from any specific diagnosis, spine health, uh, health promoting activities for your spine. Even if you end up having surgery, you will be stronger, more competent, less aggravated on a daily basis, so you are more likely to be a surgical hyper responder as opposed to the surgical failure. And that's so important, doing nothing for six to 12 weeks while you're waiting for a surgery. If the surgery was, it was, was an emergency, you'd have it done tomorrow. If you're waiting for a surgery, that suggests that it's not an emergency. That also suggests you're probably continuing to do a bunch of things on a daily basis that are making your back worse and using that as an excuse, so I don't have my imaging yet, to not do anything. And that always makes it harder for you to recover. And the amount of times people say, well, I wish I'd just started six weeks ago, six months ago when I got the referral for the MRI rather than waiting till now. And yeah, sure, some people do need to wait, but I would encourage you to really assess 
what you are doing by waiting because you're not doing nothing. You are always doing something. So that leads me on to the final part, or near the final part, of how imaging helps. And it's important to know that when you're at university studying any number of these professions, and I can obviously speak for osteopathy, but I can assume it's the same in chiropractic and in, uh, and, and in physiotherapy and, and many other just general medical degrees, the uh, pedestal on which palpation and physical exam is held is quite laughable. We're taught that it's so, I can feel the disc, I can feel this, that, the other. It is, when you look back, having experience with imaging, it's so um, humbling to know, to be honest, a lot of that is a significant amount of rubbish. You only have to look at this, for example, with injections, people doing spinal injections. We, we, we know there's people that will do it, or surgeons that will do it without guiding, but image guidance is so much more accurate. And it's so inaccurate when we're not using that. Let alone with the spine, you're able to touch and press, you know, all the way out here. The disc is all the way over here. And let alone if we've got large layers of adipose tissue in the way, you have no clue what is really going on from touching the area. Yes, yeah, sure, it might be a bit warm, indicating it's heat, uh, there's, there's inflammation there, or indicating the person just sat against the chair and their back warmed up. But the, the, the level of, assertions that so many people, practitioners will make, oh, your leg's a bit long here, oh, your pelvis is rotated on the left, oh, this on the here, and this and there, and then making interpretations or assertions with such conviction that they are true. If they had done more imaging and had more exposure to use imaging, they would realize how many times they would be wrong, and they would be able to then take a significant, as I used in the article, a significant handful of salt with their physical observations and relay that to the patient in a much more um, tentative way. And they'd be forced to utilize different approaches that work on a principle from what is a healthy spine rather than trying to say, you've got an anterior pelvic tilt. You, the amount, the amount in, at times we had patients coming in saying X number of practitioners had told them they had an anterior pelvic tilt. Oh, and by the way, the others told them they had a posterior pelvic tilt and they got a short leg. And then you do the X-ray or you do the MRI and you find out that's not, that's not the case. It's simply not the case. So there's a lot of inaccuracy. And if we were to have a better understanding of imaging, because a lot of these practitioners don't, they would have significantly greater levels of humility and probably wouldn't be scaring people. Some, some patients really do take that, that to heart. Oh, I've got a short leg, I've got a short leg, or whatever the case may be. And it's actually not the case where I've got a twisted pelvis and they get really upset about that. And if they only knew how inaccurate and unlikely that is to be the case from a physical exam, they would really just be much more at ease about everything. A nice case example here, which I've referred to in the article as well, was when we were at university, when you're studying to be an osteopath, you spend a lot of time obviously in your underwear, being observed by other people, looking at the posture, and you're being really, really critical. You've got tutors around you looking at, you know, saying, hey, look, you know, we use the example of Lara, you know, oh, look, the, the spine's here and this, that, the other. And the amount of tutors with significant experience of looking at patients, looking at students in the clinic um, or, or in the university that looked at Lara's spine, never made any comment of scoliosis. But then we go and get imaging done postgraduate and you see, oh my gosh, there's actually a significant scoliosis going through there. And we're not talking about like a little bit to the side. We're talking about a measurable scoliosis happening in the lumbar spine. No one ever picked that up. And granted, yes, a physical exam can observe the most diffuse, you're contorted. And, and for those of you just listening only, I'm contorting myself at a significant, really, really bad, very, very severe scoliosis. You're going to see that. Certain issues, you're going to see those when they are so very gross. But the smaller perceptions where they are significant, but not completely um, out there, 
are just not perceivable in so many cases from a physical examination. And the result of this is that we have wrong recommendations. We start, like I said earlier, telling the patient that they've got an anterior pelvic tilt and they've got the symptoms of a disc bulge. So we tell them to do tons of posterior pelvic tilts. Then we actually get the information that that's not the case. And then we have a rather awkward conversation and it's just unpleasant. And if people as practitioners had more exposure to imaging, they understood the imaging that is likely to accompany a patient and they understood their own limitations, they would really do an awful lot better. So I think for today, we'll wrap this, this episode up in just a bit of, with just a bit of summary. And I've got a couple of points on the board, so I'm kind of going to go off those here. First and foremost, I know we've been discussing a lot about the benefits of imaging, but the benefits of imaging are quite often more so for the individual practitioner to have that humility about their examination process and to start to understand that they don't know a lot and therefore if they know that they don't know a lot they can be more um, selective with the recommendations that they have and know that imaging is not necessary for you to fix your back pain the amount of times that you'd have a patient come in you do the examination you can understand what tissues cause symptoms you can understand that back pain is fundamentally going to be um, you know, a, a combination of some degree of disc injury or irritation or degenerative change, some degree of facet irritation as well because it's all connected, some degree of, of, of failure of the ligaments on the back of the spine, some degree of muscle spasm associated with that, and perhaps a degree of referral down the leg by way of sciatica or referral to the glutes, etc. And there's going to be some spastic contraction in the muscles that are controlled by that segment. Once you understand that, the imaging isn't quite necessary. And I've never had a case where the imaging proved to be so transformed. Oh my gosh, we don't need to do any of that anymore. It's never been the case. There is no imaging result that will tell you you don't need to be stronger than you currently are. You don't need to have better control over your movement and you don't need to have better control over your core. That those things will not be of benefit to you. That you don't have to provide a mechanism for slightly modifying the way in which you do things on a daily basis. Things that are just not ideal for the spine, i.e., sitting for eight hours a day. So there are so so no for those of you watching this that are you know you've got maybe got some back pain. Know that imaging is not necessary for you to get results at all. And like I said, it infrequently changes the pathway forwards with regards to what you have to do from a rehabilitation point of view. More experience amongst practitioners with imaging would always be a help. And just know that it would allow them to be a little bit more humble with the assertions that they make with regards to their examinations. And ultimately that would lead to less mistakes. Less mistakes because we've got imaging so we can see precisely what's going on and we can interpret it, providing you've got the skills to do that. But also less mistakes because you wouldn't be making those assertions that you can't make because you know what you don't know now. And therefore you're going to put together a sort of protocol, if you will, that is going to be focused on spine health. If you have an injury with your spine, working to get your spine more healthy, more robust, is going to be a benefit to you. Doing that in a slow controlled manner with support is going to be a benefit to you, whether or not we've got imaging. So that's quite important. Don't use your imaging or lack thereof as an excuse, as we discussed earlier. There is going to be no scenario where improving the strength and stability of your spine, improving some mobility of the level of the hips, is going to be helpful for your spine. There's no scenario where that's not going to be helpful, sorry. So making steps forwards to start to fix these things is going to be vital, irrespective of whether or not we have had imaging. And that's not to discourage you. If you've got the access to resources and you want, hey, I'm gonna go and get, get myself a private MRI done or private imaging done, then you can go ahead and do that. But don't use the fact that you can't get it on the NHS as an excuse. That's not helpful. And finally, you wanna be working for something that has principles. As I've discussed earlier, 
a spine health approach, the spine has to load bear, improving its ability to load bear is going to be helpful. Doing that in a sensible way is going to be helpful. Whether you've got a disc injury, whether you've got sciatica, whether you've got a spondylolisthesis, whether you've got degenerative change, whether you've got stenosis, you know, it's all the same thing. You need to be stronger in the load bearing, in the load bearing scenario because it is in load bearing that the spine fails. That is, is something that you should work explicitly on to fix. And as long as you do that, you're gonna find you have success. And imaging might well add in a few little missing pieces and help you move forward and help you understand your own body and what's got there and maybe be a catalyst for you to make wiser health decisions moving forwards. But overall, that's where we wanna go with things. So I know there's been a little bit of ramblings towards the end of today's episode, but hopefully it has been helpful for you. As always, if you do have any questions on this podcast, we've covered a couple of things and some of those might be a little bit, um, uh, a little bit, Contra, not contradictory, but a little bit contentious, sorry. Um, post them in the comments below. As always, if you do have, uh, if you do find these podcasts helpful, then consider liking it. If you know someone else that could benefit, maybe they've been waiting to get imaging, they wanna see a little bit about this, then consider sharing this podcast with them. And until next time, have a great day. We'll see you in the next episode of the Back and Shape Podcast.